0: Hello, world. Hey. Hi. 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 Hello. Hi. Hi. hello. hello. Hi. It's like I've forgotten how to say hello. <laughs> hey, hey, everyone. And welcome to this week's episode of Life with Kaka. I'm your host and fellow producer, Carolina Gropa. A special welcome to anyone who is new to the show. I'm so glad you found me. This is a place where I have candid conversations with producers from all corners of the entertainment industry. I can't believe this is episode 25. When I embarked on this journey almost two years ago, I uh, didn't think I'd get here, to be honest. It's a lot of work, but it is so worth it. Every time I hear from one of you guys telling me how the show is helping you, how this information is invaluable, it just makes all of the hard work behind the scenes truly worth it. Because at the end of the day, that's what I'm here for. I am here to be a conduit to these conversations and to give you, my dear listener, access to these stories and to these journeys of these women and some men who have come before us and have something to teach us. So I'm very stoked to share my conversation with Erica Kay. Erica is a UPM and a producer. She's got a wealth of knowledge thanks to 20 plus years of experience in production on studio films and television. A quick glance at her IMDb will show you the crazy long list of her credits some impressive ones to note are Mr. Robot, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, one of my all-time favorite movies. If you have not seen this movie, please do yourself a favor. It's amazing. The show Pose on FX, and of course, Fosse Verdon. I geeked out over that miniseries. I cannot even begin to tell you. I mean, Michelle Williams, Sam Rockwell, Broadway? It's magic. Truly. So, this week, given Erica's extensive experience with physical production, she breaks down the different roles in a production office, she digs into how tear-jumping comes with a lot of luck, and reveals why Fossi verdon was her dream job. Thank you so much for being here, and let's hear from Erica. The dirty secret of producing <laughs> that we spend all day in our pajamas, Exactly. And I, um yeah. I, I thought there'd be like a camera component to this. So I, right. look, I gotta look presentable to meet this woman for the first time on on uh, on on the the cameras. Oh, phew, That's over. <laughs> yeah, but um, but it's so nice to connect with you. Um, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your story. Thank with you. Me and the listeners, um, it's been a very incredible journey to be doing this and getting to talk to women like yourself who have fascinating careers that are. There's similarities to mine, but obviously very different. And you've been in the business much longer than I have. And you came up in a more, I would say, traditional way as a physical producer. So I'd love to just dig in and hear a little bit of your backstory and, you know, where you came from, how you discovered producing and when you found out that that was actually a thing that you could do for a living.
1: Sure. Well, I um I grew up in New York City, but I actually didn't know anybody who was in the film or television business. It wasn't something that dawned on me as a career ever. Um, I had been a sort of non professional, semi professional child actress, and I loved that, and um knew it was not going to be my career. Um, and went away uh, to college, and um had always been very interested in politics and news and government and thought that I would end up in one of those areas. And this was in the mid nineties when I graduated from college and Dateline NBC was um, a very, very big thing. I think it was on like, you know, 10 different times a week. And I had interviewed at NBC news to be part of like the, um, up and coming sort of associate producer, you know, news producer track. And, on the second or third interview, I happened to also speak to, um, someone named Kevin Thompson, who had been a good friend of my mother's through work. My mom was a real estate developer and he was an architect and they had remained friends and he had transitioned into becoming a production designer. And he had a friend who was looking for an intern on a television show called Central Park West. It was a Darren Starr show. And I ended up taking that job for, I think I made like $80 a week or something. And I, to make extra money, I walked Darren Starr's dog, Judy Jetson um, a few days a week in the middle of the afternoon. <laughs> yeah. So, and that's kind of literally where I started. That was, um, I think I took the summer off, uh, after college and I started that job in the fall and that was really it. I kind of went from there and just started working my way up in the production office as an office PA and then, um, an assistant production coordinator and a production coordinator and, um, I did several, uh, big movies um, as a as a production coordinator
0: if I may pause you for a sec I, I'm just curious if you could break down for our listeners those varied positions sure. you just described um, I want them to understand that that is a very traditional route to grow within the production side of the business into physical production so just a little glimpse of like what all those different people tend to do. I know there's it varies greatly. Among teams?
1: Sure. So when you're, you know, when you start out as a PA, either um, on set, a production assistant on set, working for the assistant directors, or as an office PA, which is what I did, you work for the production coordinator. You're kind of, you know, the low man on the totem pole, so to speak. And it's 12 hours a day in the production office doing runs to and from set and maintaining the office and the, you know, Xerox machine and all of that kind of stuff and, uh, distribution of scripts and schedules and everything. And the assistant production coordinator, and then into becoming the production coordinator run the, uh, the production office for the whole show and also deal with all of the crews, travel, the equipment, um, helping the producer and the production manager with whatever they need, helping the crew with whatever they need, organizing when you're on a big show that ship, you know, works internationally. You're unfortunately um, involved in all the shipping of equipment and costumes and gear all over the world, which was always one of my least favorite tasks.
0: <laughs> good, um, good times. <laughs> it's always like a major
1: panic attack. Um, yeah. and, uh, and you're kind of the, you know, sort of in some ways, the heart of the production and like the service center I think of the entire production Mm. Um, but you're you're not on set and you very very rarely go to set unless you happen to work for somebody who really I think takes the time to invite you out of the production office.
0: Yeah I think it's important to note that it's a very admin heavy kind of job. Yeah there is it's a lot of paperwork there is there is some you know logistics and you are really like the right hand, like you mentioned of the production manager and the mm-hmm. producer an extension of them really, but yes, you, you really are confined to, to the office. It's an office heavy job. And in the important thing to note is I've been on shows where if you have overnights or you're shooting non-business traditional business hours, you know, oftentimes the coordinator is even, even more at a distance because yeah. they are working those business hours, and and it's like this total disconnect from the rest of the team. It can make you feel a bit excluded from the process. Agreed. Yes, that yeah. is true.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that's something I started. I I think I sort of started to feel that a little bit when um, I was the production coordinator on Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, the Michelle oh, Gondry movie.
0: One of my favorite all-time movies.
1: Thank you. Me yeah. too. And an amazing film to work on in every possible way. And, um, and very difficult for everybody. I mean, everybody's job on that entire show was very difficult. Uh, the costume designer, Melissa Toth had a hard job and she's still one of um, my really good friends to this day. And we've worked together recently again. And, um, and I'm still friendly with the person who was the production manager when I was the coordinator, uh, Ray Angelic. And it's, and it was a, it was a wonderful, wonderful job. Um, but I think it was during that time that I did start to feel a little bit of the disconnect. Like what, am I really involved? What do I want to do next? Um, I'm never really out there on set. I'm not really sure if I understand what's going on out there really, because I'm not there. Uh, and I just started to feel then that there could be, you know, a a little bit more or something different, I think. Yeah. In the business. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: And so then how did you at that point, because this is a question I get a lot, you know, when you're going Mm -hmm. up the office route, making that tier jump, right, of going from a coordinator to a supervisor, or a production manager, how did you create that for yourself?
1: Well, I was very, very lucky, I will say, and some people are not so lucky, I think, um, as with all sort of you know, quote unquote, glamorous creative businesses. You really, it, you have to be very good at what you do, but you also need to have a little bit of luck. And uh, the producer of the next show that I worked on was the production manager of Eternal Sunshine, and he said, do "You know, do you want to come with me and be the supervisor?" Mm. And I was like, "Yes, yes, I do." Uh, and it was a small movie uh, that Zach Braff was in that Jesse Peretz directed, and it was all in New York, and. Um, and that was really my first um, experience of of being out there in the world and not being the production coordinator, and it was great. I mean, I was a, I was a wreck. It was very very nerve wracking, and I was <laughs> really scared. And of course, I also thought to myself, oh, maybe I've made a mistake. I, you know, I liked being a coordinator. I think, what am I doing? but um i stuck with it and and it was just really it it was i was very lucky and very fortuitous to be in the right place at the right time of things getting a little bit busier mm. and you know more people being needed and just sort of worked my way up as a non-union supervisor uh on sort of bigger films and just kind of kept going
0: and what year was that roughly what's the time frame we're looking that at that
1: was like i think the i guess Early two thousands, yeah, Ooh,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to date you a little bit. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but I think I think it's important for listeners to know because we have people from all sorts of you know walks of life, different experience backgrounds, and that you've come up in, in such a traditional physical producer way, and you've been doing this for a very long time. I mean, I, your your credits are so impressive. The projects you've gotten to work on are some of my favorite, you know, projects of modern times, and also. Older times, and so I don't ask you when you started or what (laughs) what time frame to date you or make you feel old, but just so that everyone understands the wealth of knowledge that you provide as you're answering these questions. Because thank you. Well, we'll we'll say the mid two thousands. Mid two thousands. I love Um, it. Yeah. (laughs) But so to back it up for a second, you know, you had mentioned that you felt really disconnected from the process after Eternal Sunshine, and you actually told me you you thought about leaving and you took some time off to. Sort of reassess, realign. And I'm curious in that time that you were out of the business, what was it about the business then that made you think, no, I really do love this? I need to get back in the ring.
1: Well, uh, one thing I will say, just in practicality, is that there wasn't something else that I desperately wanted to do. So, you know, I didn't need to make a living like we all do. And I just thought, well, what else am I going to do? What's out there? I had never had, for lack of a better word, "quote unquote," real job. Um, I had always worked freelance. I had started literally the you know a couple months after I graduated from college, and I thought, well, am I going to go now and work at a a channel, you know, or mm-hmm. a production company or in news somehow, and how would that work? And I I didn't really see myself doing any of it, to be honest. And I think you do have to really visualize yourself in a place in order to make something happen. And I, I just didn't really see it. Um, there were a lot of other things in life that I'm interested in, but I didn't know really how to make that jump. So I kind of came back to it, I think, not necessarily with more of an open mind, but I did come back to it thinking, you know what, there has to be more out there in terms of the business. Meaning, I can't be afraid to move up in the world um, because fear was a big was a big factor. Quite frankly, um, you know most. Production managers and producers do come from being a location manager or a first assistant director, um, which is something that I had never done. And even though I am friendly, very close with people and have hired a lot of people that, you know, worked up the way that I did, it wasn't something that was really that big then, quite frankly. And, um, you know, I was nervous about making the jump and I had a lot of support both from the first producer that I worked for. And then from another producer, a woman named Mary Jo Winkler, who hired me soon after, and who I did a lot of movies with back to back as a supervisor. And I just kind of took it from there. Once I decided to not be afraid, everything really clicked. And I felt like I could move forward in my career and I got much more comfortable on set. And I, and I really liked it. Quite frankly, I was really, I was really very, very happy again, which I continue to be for the most part, you know, yes. <laughs> um,
0: to, to this day, which is nice. That's a really great, positive, um, refreshing outlook. And um, I'm thank, thank you for sharing that because um, I- I've had conversations with some other people who, don't feel as happy that, you know, 20 years plus into it. So I I know set life can be very grueling and really wear people down um, because it takes so much, you know, it requires so much energy and that comes at the expense of personal life oftentimes. Um, Yeah. So I do want to ask you about that. But before I do, to speak on the fear that you were talking about, walk me through the thoughts that were going in your mind at that time.
1: Well, I think, um, even though I wasn't that happy at the end of being a production coordinator, I was pretty good at it. So, you know, you do have that feeling of being comfortable and good at something and this could go on forever, you know, or indefinitely. So I think the idea of doing something new that potentially I could fail at, or what if I didn't get a job? What if nobody hired me? What if I did it and I wasn't good at it? What if I did it and eh, I didn't really like it? You know, all of those things, um, creep up in, I I've, i hope not for everybody, but I'm sure for some people, for me, I've never been the most, um, you know, the most aggressively um, positive person in the room. So about my my ability, I do sometimes feel that I'm not doing the right thing or would second guess myself. Mm-hmm. I don't so much anymore, quite frankly, which is, I think just a, a comes from experience. But uh, once I sort of moved past that or through it, I would say it, it things got a lot better and things just kind of clicked into place. And I really, I was really really enjoying it. It was also a time um, in the business I think where people were still making. I think because I feel like I worked on some of them really good movies that were not either $2 million interesting independent movies or the, you know, $190 million tentpole movie. Yeah. You know, there was like real stories and we did good work and, um, even before the big, you know, New York tax credit days, there were still there were, at that time starting to be full movies that were shot here, as opposed to just little pieces, and were mostly shot in Canada or Los Angeles to save money. So it was a really good time to actually come up and work. I think looking back at it now, yeah, um, you know, there was less product then. But in my personal opinion, there's a little bit too much product now. Mm. So um, I think, you know, it was (laughs) it was more selective, but it was more it was it was interesting. It was a very good time to um, to come up in the world. And it was pre the sort of massive television content. So movies were really happening.
0: So what's been the biggest change in the New York scene specifically that you've observed in these 20 plus years that you've been you've been at it?
1: Well, the biggest switch is with the advent of the um, sort of full-time tax credit here makes New York, which is a very expensive place to work and to live, um, it makes New York very competitive in the business. So it's gotten very, very busy here with the advent of um, streaming and television and cable and all of it. I mean, I think... I we should probably fact check this, but I think last year alone, there was something like 70 television shows shooting in New York city at the same time. Um, so it's gotten incredibly, incredibly busy here. There's more people than ever working here. Um, which has its, you know, good and, and bad side, quite frankly, I think a little less work would probably benefit everybody, including all of the communities, um, in the five boroughs quite a bit um, who get a little aggravated by movie making. But that's, you know, that's been the biggest change, just that it's gotten so much busier and that there's fewer movies and more television, I think.
0: Yeah. And I find too, that there, as as somebody who has come up in physical production, I feel very frustrated for myself and for, for others and creatives as well with There's so much love and time and energy that gets poured into something and then it comes out. And if it doesn't do well the first weekend in the box office or if the TV show doesn't take off right away, it's like completely disregarded. You know, I think about Motherless Brooklyn, which was a novel that was adapted that Edward Norton just did and took Mm -hmm. him so long to make that movie. We're talking like a decade of perfecting that script. And then that movie just came and went, you know, and I think Mm -hmm. of the amount of time and and love that was poured into that. And because there's so much vying for our attention every single second, it's like, it doesn't even matter. And I, I wonder that has to affect people who work in this business on some deeper level that I don't think we really understand yet.
1: I mean I would think so. It's right? I th- I find it sad that I think, you know, more and more people have shorter and shorter attention spans. So if they don't love something the first second, that's it. It's over. Yeah. You know, no one give no one really gives things enough time uh, in my opinion. There are certain people who will work on whatever they work on and if it succeeds great if it fails no problem they keep going i don't really like that to be honest yeah. i really only like to work on things that i really care about and i and i think people will really really like and that i think have something to say, hopefully, that people will listen to and be changed by or be, you know, interested yeah, in. Yeah, that's, that's the dream.
0: Um, that's the dream. Yeah, You're I mean, doing it's, it right. It's, Keep, yeah, it, yeah, up. I mean, Keep it's, it up. Keep it up. I think,
1: you know, it is my dream. I hope more people feel that way. I think, I think we would make, uh, you know, as a whole, as an industry, I think we'd make a lot better stuff yeah. if people felt that way as opposed to just um, with certain things, I think, just sort of filling time, mm. you know,
0: Because we have so much of it to spare. So much. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So weird, weird time. It's, it's, there's so much great stuff. It's, it's a really, unique time to be a, an artist, a storyteller, a creator, a collaborator in this business and every aspect of, of the business that I talk to people from all walks of life. It's really fascinating the conversations that are happening and the perspectives mm-hmm. on on this very idea, you know, of just how much is too much, like mm-hmm. quality versus quantity, all of that. So I wonder if it's a bubble, you know, and if it's going to burst and people are going to want to revert back to having a TV show that comes on once a week at a certain time, and you can't binge watch it. I don't know, I'm curious.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, I don't know how long physically and financially, everybody can keep this up, right? I mean, it is I I would say, you know, it is sort of a golden age of mass creation of content. But to me, things like that are always seem like a bubble. But you know, I could be wrong. I'm not a great I'm not a great forecaster.
0: Sometimes. <laughs> Switching <laughs> gears for a bit. Would you define producing for us? Sure, I think hopefully.
1: Um, so well, what I do as you know, as you know, is physical producing. So I get hired by the, a combination really of the creative producers and the director and the studio and the net If its television, then also the network, uh, who are, you know, paying for the show, obviously. And, um, those two entities kind of have to agree on who the producer will be. And then I have to walk a fine line of serving both of those masters, both, you know, financially and creatively, which is probably the hardest and most exciting part, I think of being a physical producer. Um, and Just from the very beginning, um, hiring the key creative department heads that the creative producers uh, and the director want and are interested in, coming up with who the best people are for those roles for the show, Um, hiring them, closing their deals, closing the deals for uh, all of their crew that works for those department heads, Um, hiring the production manager who works with me, um, who hires and maintains all the below the line crew, um, helping the ADs figure out the actor schedule, making sure that they're taken care of closing all the actor deals with the casting director, getting the locations set up and ready to roll. And then, you know, sort of like launching it basically um, for the 50 or a hundred or 150 days, whatever it is that you're, that you're
0: shooting. Wow. So that's essentially you are a UPM line producer combo. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I, um, I work lately with, um, someone named Kevin Muller, who, um, is a non-union production manager basically. And so I, I'm in the director's guild and I normally fill the the director's guild position of the production manager, but, um, I have to, there's so much sort of above the line kind of stuff with the director and the producers and the actors and all of their, you know, stuff and their managers and everything that has to be done that some of the production management below the line stuff goes to the production manager who deals with everything every minute of the day and um, signs all the payroll and signs all the, um, the invoices and all that kind of stuff. So we just take to really make it, you know, happen.
0: Yes, yes, that's very thorough Excellent explanation. I get this question so many times. I'm not in the DGA, but people are very confused um, when they're starting out, even within the business, within um, the differences between a non union sort of supervisor, production manager, mm-hmm. and then somebody who has to be hired to fill the requirements for the DGA uh, for the union. And so Will you speak a little bit to, to that?
1: Right. So the Directors Guild is directors, but also production managers, assistant directors, location managers, uh, stage managers for live television kind of things, news and, and stuff like that. Um, and there's a few different paths, depending on if you're on the East coast or the West coast of how you get in the way that I got in, uh, because I was never a set PA and the way that a lot of people get in is they work as a set PA and they work their way up to making 600 days of work on set. And through that, they then do what, what you call your book. You put your book into the DGA and you get in as, um, as a second assistant director and you move up from there with more and more days that you accumulate. And I did not work on set. I had been hired, as I said, as a non-union supervisor. And the way that I got in in New York, uh, the Directors Guild has this great program for affirmative action for women and minorities who, if they are offered a job as a DGA category, um, if they're offered a job and given a deal memo and a, and a show, they can get in, they pay, you know, we pay a huge, um, fee to the director's guild and <laughs> yeah. do the paperwork and, and everybody sign, you have to get three people, three, you know, normally mentors or colleagues to sign a little, uh, affidavit basically for you. And, um, you send it in and it takes some time and you get in, which is how I got in because I had been working, um, back to back as basically a, a non-union supervisor for, um, a producer who was in the guild. So she took the guild, um, position also, and we had done a bunch of movies together and I loved working with her and she had been offered another movie at a studio that I really wanted to do. And I'd worked for the studio before. And I said, listen, I, I really want to do it, but I would like to join the guild and, um, will you guys be willing to give me the deal memo and hire me guild so I can join? And they were, which was fantastic. Um, and that was many, many years ago. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and then I, you know, I, I just started working as the, as the true production manager on several shows, you know, sort of back to back almost after that, which was, which was really great. And it's a great honor, quite frankly, to be in the director's guild. It offers, a lot of um, a lot of good things for your quality of life and your health care and all of that yeah. to be perfectly frank yeah
0: yes we've talked on the show i've talked to some other uh, upms about how you know dj has some of the best health care of all the all the unions and um, there's so many benefits to being in that uh, part of the guild but but mm-hmm. one of the things that um, it's i think it's it's when people look at the credits and anything that is backed by a studio or network or these larger entities that are recognizable, they will always have to be a DGA show. And so a position like yours that is union is necessary. So if you're a person who dreams of being a physical producer at that level, then that is a path you should consider looking into. Conversely, as a physical producer who's been more in the indie space, you know, there is a way to still be a physical producer and, and essentially take a UPM title on non-union shows without having to be in the DGA. And the job really Mm -hmm. is the same. It's just, the healthcare and the rate really is kind of yeah. like the the biggest ding but um but not you know i've learned that going the dga route isn't for everybody there's a lot of physical producers who don't see the value of that who don't necessarily um want to put in the 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 amount of days and time that it takes mm-hmm. to get to that uh, you know, mm-hmm. which is a minimum, from what I understand, on the indie space, it's about ten years of working all the different projects you need to work to yeah. get to get your days to get on all the lists, and so it is a longer road. But um, I think for anyone listening who is young and wants to potentially pursue that path, I think it's a viable wonderful path that whether or not you pivot to something else later down the line, you know, you always right. have that in your back pocket and it's a great thing to have for sure. Yeah. I mean,
1: for me, I, I do think it's a great thing to have. And I think that you know, there's a lot of different paths in this business and a lot of different things to do in the business. For me, this was really the only thing I had ever done, you know, um, studio system film basically, and, and some TV early on, not like now, which is pretty much only TV for me the last few years. But I had never worked on documentaries or lower budget independent movies or things like that. It just wasn't something that I knew, really. Yeah. So to, me, to be here, this was really the best, um, you know, it's the best outcome. It is really, when you're in the part of the system that I was in, it's where you want to get to, mm-hmm. um, you know, both for, for your just... God forbid, retirement out there in the world. And, and you know, all that stuff, it's just like, it is working towards a a bigger goal, which is, which works well. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I think quality of life is, as you touched on that is a huge factor here. And um, a lot of people drop out because like I mentioned, production is very intense. It's very consuming. And if you are constantly working for you know, okay, rates, and you're not necessarily being able to save or put money away for retirement, it can wear you down. And it can be a sort of existential life crisis of like, okay, Mm -hmm. how do we get out of this if this is how it's going to be? And again, like having come from the other side, I know a lot of people who've been faced with that uh, question, especially women who want a family and want these things, um, and don't really know how to necessarily Pivot, you know, in, into that and creating that space for their for their lives. Um, yeah, it's not easy. Yeah, it's,
1: it's a just a you know, it's a lot of hours in the day. Yeah. And when you're not working, it's you know, will I ever work again? Yeah. What am I doing to get the next job? Is that the right job that I want? You know, it's I I find it very. Um, Mm all-consuming, which I kind of like, to be honest. I could pretend to complain about it. There are certain things to complain about. But I I do like that sort of all-consuming aspect of it. But uh, not always. And not everybody does.
0: Yeah. What is it that you like about it, the all-consuming aspect?
1: I think, you know, it's a really nice, in some ways, sort of family to be in. Um, I would say... I, I do have times where I think, God, I don't know anybody who's not in this business anymore. I actively have to seek out people who are not in this business, which I do and have done in the past sometimes to, to greater lengths than others. But um, I do like it that it's just sort of, you know, your life and your lifestyle. I do like the freelance lifestyle aspect of it, to be honest. Um, I think, you know, as I said, 15 years ago, I thought I'd had a crisis of what am I going to go do, have a real job, you know? And I do sometimes have that now too. Mm, I think I'm so happy that I don't, you know, get up every day and go to the same place and, you know, work at a nameless, faceless company. Um, not to say that that's the only other. Thing to do in life, other than being a movie producer, but it's you know one of the things I do like about this is the constant variety, the constant new people that you're meeting, the new people that you meet that you hold on to really tightly because you don't ever want to work on a job without them, um, and all the weird, strange places that you go to that you think, God, I would never, why I would never be here Mm -hmm. if it weren't (laughs) for the fact that we were shooting here today. (laughs) You know,
0: do you have any stories of one of the? weirdest, fascinating places that you have found yourself in? Oh, God, I don't know. I can't, nothing that I can think of that's fantastic off the top of my head. I will say,
1: it's always interesting when you're working on a show that doesn't really take place where you're shooting. So because you really seek out these interesting things. And if you're lucky enough to work with a great uh, location manager who really, really, really scouts everything out, it, you know, it really makes all the difference. Um, When I did a movie called Salt with um, Angelina Jolie that Philip Noyce directed a long time ago. So much of that movie took place outside of the United States. And so we were in teeny tiny, weird little, you know, parts of all five boroughs of New York City and out on Long Island, just looking at all this weird stuff, you know, that was that turned out to be just to be great. And all the people that you meet that tell you about what they do and why you're there and all that kind of stuff. I mean, one of the most obvious faces I thought that we shot was we did, um, We did a greenhouse thing up at the Bronx Botanical Garden. It's actually called, I think, the New York Botanical Garden, which is a very touristy place to go, I think, that I had never been in my entire life. (laughs) So, you know, and you're like there with all these weird bugs and butterflies and orchids and you just thought, well, this is really cool. Like, I I would never think to come to the Botanical Garden. And so, you know, there's, there's cool stuff like that, that when you end up there and, you know, great restaurants and little streets and all these kinds of things that you've never gone to. I do, I do really appreciate that. And it makes the, you know, 14 hours a day and getting there at five o'clock in the morning worth it.
0: Mm. I love that. It's true. It's yeah. true. You so when we were having a conversation before we went on mic, you had told me that you describe yourself as a very shy person, which I think is uh, surprising, because you are very <laughs> well spoken, and you have a lot of energy and, and all perception, right? I don't know you. But I, you, you mentioned to me, the experience of being on set for the first time and having to be around 150 people as a shy person?
1: Well, I think, um, I think what I had said to you is that it felt like the worst cocktail party of my entire life. It was like, (laughs) I just thought, oh my God, I have 12 plus hours of small talk ahead of me. Mm. I can't even imagine how I'm going to get through it. Um, and I was much, much younger and much more shy then. although I still am. I mean, going to a party for me is probably my worst nightmare. I mean, I I can't think of a party that I would be eager to go to, quite frankly. Um, and that's how I felt when I first started working on set. I thought, my God, I have to talk to all these people and like smile all day and be nice and do my work, but also talk about like, chit-chatty kind of things and how do people do this and I sit down and eat lunch with people that I don't really know. I mean, the whole thing was like a horror show to me um, right. until I... I, to be frank, I do not know how I got past that. I think you just, I did it, you know, day after day after day after day. And then I was like, all right, I guess this is what I'm doing. But I remember those first couple days on set. I thought, God, this, this can't last. Maybe I've made a huge mistake.
0: But you clearly didn't because yeah. here you are <laughs> driving. Here I am. I will say,
1: oh, who knows? I will say, I I do have feelings like that. Certainly, when I when I meet new people, I think still, uh, just because it's not it's it's the antithesis of my nature. And I think um, if I if you had told me that this is what I would be doing for a living. I never would have believed you as a child, <laughs> because it is a lot of talking with people and new people every single day, which is really, really cool after the fact. But for that first moment that I'm in it, I just think, oh, God, I have the, you know, dread of of um, having to be very outgoing, which is not my really my forte.
0: Will you speak a little bit on um, when you have experienced career lulls and hurdles if you could describe some of those times and, and how you got through it, what kept you going? The biggest one
1: and the most um, really important one, because it's ended up working out and it's where I am today is when I really stopped being a production coordinator mm-hmm. and just thought I need to take some time to figure out what I wanted to do. And as I said, I, I, really couldn't, I didn't do anything else, to be honest. I didn't go out and get another job. I didn't for several months before I kind of came back into the business because I couldn't figure out what it was that I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And I did finally realize, I think during that time, well, I want to move forward in the business. So how do I do that? And once I you know, came out and said it, admitted it, whatever, that's what I did, which was good. Um, I'm lucky enough that I did not have um, I, I really was given the opportunity of a lifetime coming from being a production manager to, to my first job as a producer, which is uh, a few years ago now, but almost three years ago now. Which project was that? That was for the uh, pilot and then the first and second season of Pose with Ryan Murphy, who um, I had known from a few years before, several years before on The Normal Heart with HBO. And I had tried to stay in touch with him off and on. And when I read about Pose, I had emailed him and his assistant and said, wow, this sounds really great. And if you come to New York and you need any help, let me know. And his assistant, Sarah, called me back and was like – hey, Ryan wants to talk to you. And I was like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then next thing I knew I was, um, basically being offered the job of producing the pilot. And he was, he was directing back to back the pilot and the second episode. And then that got the pickup and went right into the first season, um, a few weeks later. So I didn't have that kind of anxiety between those two, you know, shifting from production managing to producing, which is amazing. And I'm incredibly thankful for it. Um, and now I kind of feel like I'm in a little minor pocket of, Hmm, you know, what's next. Yeah. Um, which I think is good. I mean, honestly, I feel like this is the kind of business where if you're not growing and moving forward, it can get a little bit upsetting or boring, or you can get a little resentful of it in yeah. a way. Um, so I'm happy to have a little bit of, um, unsettled feeling right now. I'm feeling like, I, you know, I think that makes you, that pushes you to move forward is what I would say.
0: Yeah. And so how do you navigate those feelings? Like, cause I, I speak from example slash, you know, asking for a friend, mm-hmm. <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> when I've had those, when I've had those, those pockets of feelings in my journey, it's, it's been riddled with like, um, too much eating, not enough sleeping, and Mm -hmm. being really down and frustrated. And it usually is when I'm not working. It's usually when you're not working, right, that you have the time to sort of reflect on the path you've been walking and if this is is the right right place you want to be. And in the past, in my younger days, I definitely have gotten into a bit of a depression, to be perfectly honest, because so much of my identity has been tied up in my professional pursuits and in this business that I've had to really learn how to disassociate a little bit. Um, and that's been a really healthy work in progress thing. So I, I, I say that to ask like how, when you've had these moments of reflection, how that timeline has gone for you?
1: Well, I think it's, I have all of the above, um, too much eating, not enough sleeping, you know, panicking, not panicking. I do all of those things, all day long on a, you know, (laughs) revolving wheel. I think all, you know, creative people do. We're all a little bit nuts, which is not bad. Um, I will say that I'm starting to feel like I would like to move forward in a way where I can have a little bit more control and a little bit more um, input in storytelling. Um, And I'm not a writer and I don't have a great idea and and want to write a script. I don't. I, I feel like I have ideas, and I don't write them down. I would like to pitch my idea to somebody who would like to write it down. Um, but I just feel like I want to be very careful about um, the kinds of shows that I work on and who I work with, both for and with I would say and um, and try and just expand a little bit you know every day just try and do a little bit something that's more you know if if there's something I don't understand about visual effects and it's something I just see all the time and I have to just you know write a check for or organize a meeting for I'm trying to make a more concerted effort these days to actually not do that as the default and to stop myself and say you know what I want to understand exactly what this means and yeah. why we're doing it and how we're doing it and how people used to do it and why we don't do it that anymore. And just try and learn a little bit more. I, um, I'm trying to be that way. I think about little bits of everything in my life. Um, and obviously work is the way that I spend the majority of my life. So I feel like it's it's a good time right now personally for me to open that up in work, which is what I've been trying to do Lately, and hopefully in the near future.
0: Yeah, the last project you worked on was Fossey Verden, right? The first season. Well, um, Red- the f- yeah. So Fossey Verdon was in between seasons
1: one and two of Pose. So we, I, the most recent thing I just worked on was ending season two of Pose. But in between those two seasons mm-hmm. um, was Fossey, which was, um, I think. Quite frankly, the job of a lifetime for me. It, it's everything that I love. <laughs> so, yes,
0: you mentioned that it that it was your dream job, and so will you tell me the story of like getting that job and how it all came together and and why it's it's your dream job. Um, I, we were working on
1: towards sort of the end ish of season one of Pose, uh, which is at Fox uh, Twenty One, and I love the production executive there, who's the head of production. Her name's Nisa Dietrich, and she's a phenomenal. I think probably the best production executive I've ever worked with, and wow. um,
0: Nisa. I want to Google her. N- n- <laughs> yes,
1: Nisa Dietrich, and I. Um, I she called me and said, "I think we're about to greenlight this eight-part mini series, like a limited series, which they do a lot of at Fox FX, um, and it's called Fossey Verden, and it's going to be directed mostly and executive produced by Tommy Kale." And I was like, Tommy Kale, um, who is the original director of Hamilton. Yes, yes. And yes, yes, yes. it was being produced by Tommy and uh, Lynn Manuel Miranda. And Stephen Levinson was writing it, who wrote and producing it. Um, Stephen, who wrote Dear Evan Hansen, among other things. And I just thought, well, that sounds fantastic. Um, and dancing and singing and Broadway and all of my favorite things and everything that I did as a child. And I was like, yes, please sign me up. Um, and I met with Tommy and Steven and we had a great conversation. I think we only talked for probably half an hour. I walked out of there and I was like, God, that was really great. I would love to do this show. I'm never going to get it. Um, I don't have enough experience. It's really big, it's difficult. And 15 minutes later, I got the job. And I literally almost fell out of my chair. <laughs> and I was like, you know, trying to act all nonchalant and I was like, sure. you were like, yeah, I'll check my calendar. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I guess so. Um, and it was really let me see. and it turned out to be, I would say, you know, it was a very, very difficult and show in ways that I hadn't really expected, um, in terms of the casting and the deals and everything and the sort of pre-rehearsals and, and far off, far off, excuse me, organization of all the dancers and the singers and the pre-records and the music. And, um, but it was amazing. It was, I think, bar none, the greatest group of people, um, that I've ever worked with both as the creative producers and, and Tommy and the, the, three other directors that um, each directed an episode um, who came in, who are also great and um, RAD Deanna, Leslie Kelly, who um, w- basically ran the entire show. We just had a great time making the show Yeah, and we great actors and very, very, very intense. And it was really led honestly by Tommy who made all the difference, I think in making it such an ex- I mean, incredible experience because it's difficult to do a period show. We, we did it. Um, we shot for 83 days, eight episodes and it takes place, you know, from 1940s Chicago to 1980s DC, um, it's, there's parts in Munich, there's parts in Majorca, there's DC, New York, I mean, Los Angeles, Chicago, it's, you know, it's extensive. And, um, and I think every single human being on that show, top to bottom, did an incredible, incredible job. Yeah, Um, Yeah. really the only way to get through something like that and not just get through it. That's really not a nice thing to say. I really feel like people like thrived.
0: I think you can feel that. Um, I I watched the whole series. I loved it. I mean, anything Michelle Williams and Sam Rockwell Mm -hmm. do, I'm all in whether it's together, especially um, I just loved it. I thought it was so well done and I, I didn't know much about their story. So not only was it well done, but also truly informative, you know, of what, yeah, what went down um, and just a beautiful, stylized, poetic way to get you into that story. But I, I often believe that when you have that kind of magic behind the scenes, it gets imprinted on the screen and you can feel that you can feel when something is magical and that everyone from the entire sort of, you know, extension of the team down to your PAs really, um, I'm sure there were challenges, but you know, like they, they, everybody really wanted to be there and show up and do their best no matter the challenges. And I can, I can feel that. So kudos to you guys. Thank
1: you. I appreciate that. And I will say that this was for the first time in a really long time. Um, this was the first project where when people started to see it, I got calls and emails from people who I hadn't spoken to in a hundred years, people that were connected to me via six degrees of separation, who emailed me or called me to say I I'm so in love with this show. I can't believe the show. The show is amazing. Yeah, it's the nicest thing in the world. I mean, that really never happens. And I, you know, I think, and they too, as you know, outsiders, really felt it, you know, coming through to them, which is so nice. That's honestly, thank you. It's, I think, the nicest compliment that um, that anybody could give, really, uh, because it was, it was really really tough, I think, um, on everybody in some ways. Um, But we were led by a director and producers who really cared about people enjoying their job and enjoying their, you know, as much as possible 12 hours at work. Yeah. um, And not just getting through it, you know, so which was
0: nice. It gives me hope that there are people with that um, passion and compassion for your work (laughs) at at the level that you're at, because it sometimes feels uh, like I don't know, everybody's just cynical and out for themselves. Yeah. And there isn't this collaborative teamwork spirit and it bums me out, you know?
1: Yeah, it's hard. The problem with film production in some ways is that you move so fast. Yeah. You know, everybody's expecting you to save money, go quicker, finish earlier, shoot less days, don't go to so many places. And you f- you fight that a lot. Um, and you win some battles, you lose some battles, but you're, you're constantly going and going and going. And I think... Um, sometimes we forget to take a second and appreciate what we're doing and maybe also take a second and think, well, maybe we could do certain things a different way we wouldn't have these problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like we, a lot of us, I think, learned a lot on that show, which was really nice. And I, um, you know, hoping that we, I feel like we, I put certain things towards the season two of Pose, which we started shooting the day after we wrapped season the day after we wrapped Fosse, which was, an incredibly difficult time for all oh of us. Oh my gosh, a, lo- a lot of the same crew lot. and everything. We yeah. were, everybody was exhausted, but I feel like we put some things into practice that I hope to, you know, take yeah. a little bit further. I think, um, you know, I, I I like everybody to come to work and work seriously, but also have a good time. Yeah, I feel very lucky that I don't get up every morning and go sit in a cubicle somewhere. I really do. It's not how I wanted to live my life. And so I feel like I have the opportunity to make things, you know, even better. I mean, take it seriously. Everybody should be safe. Everybody should be able to go home at night at a semi-normal hour and spend the night with their family um, and enjoy themselves a little bit.
0: Yeah. What was the biggest takeaway from that whole experience then? You said you learned a lot. What's like if there was one nugget? I think
1: that it is a little bit of what I was just saying. And I think that that was all sort of, you know, that whole way of working, I think was really brought to bear by, um, Tommy Kell, the director producer who really, really cares about people. It was the only person I had worked with in years, a director who had so much on his plate and knew every single person's name on the crew and talked to that person every day and cared. Mm-hmm. Um, just bringing a little bit more humanity to, yeah. I think, instead of rushing through, you know, like I said, I feel like we are always rushing, rushing, rushing. Um, and I think that was really the biggest takeaway of that show. I think it we can do better, all of us. And it really, and I do mean all of us. I, I honestly think everybody on the crew should step up and do a little bit better in that way, not just the people at the top. Um, I mean, we can affect change in a big way, but not we're not the only ones. Um, So I think everybody really came together and worked really well on that on that show. And it was it was admirable.
0: Well, that's amazing. Um, How do you feel that producing has shaped your identity? Well, um,
1: (laughs) I think, you know, I would be lying if I if I didn't say that I I find it exciting, you know, when I meet new people and they say, what do you do? And I tell them, people think it's so exciting and glamorous. Like, I kind of like that, I will be honest. <laughs> um, I think, uh, you know, it's 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 made me, I think, learn about a lot of different things that I would not have normally learned about or want to learn about um, necessarily. I mean, I would be more than happy to work on a movie about, you know, space shuttle that I know absolutely nothing about. But to be able to like dive into that, I think would be amazing and exciting as well. Um, so I think it's made, you know, I think working in this business has made me very curious, which is nice. And that's, that makes me a better, more well-rounded person in general. Um, but I don't know how else necessarily it shaped my identity, which is weird to say, because it is really what I spend the most of my time doing. So it's unfortunate that I don't have a better answer for that. I'm sorry. No,
0: I think your answer is great. Um, You know, I've gotten I, I love asking this question because the response is always so unique to that person and it's all, all uh-huh. valuable so it's, yeah it's good you know good. It's good. Um, so one of the themes of my show is to really talk about the messy parts of life as it pertains to producing and how so much of what we do can sometimes be perceived as glamorous because you get to, you know people get to see the one percent of the time where you're on a red carpet or there's a success mm-hmm. the outward success but so much of the actual process uh, to bring it back to the beginning of the Episode, you know, is people mm-hmm. in their PJs like figuring it out and not having showered and not eating right, and just it, yeah, it, it's a very messy process all the way. So how do you manage that in your for yourself? Like how do you practice self-care? How do you find time to take care and nurture yourself to have the energy to suit up and go to battle, so to speak?
1: Yeah, it's not easy. I will
0: say that.
1: Um, I don't think I'm very good at it, honestly. Um, I wish that I had more hobbies and interests or something where I could and I don't even know if this is possible. I don't really ever believe people when they say it's possible, but to
0: really turn your mind off from work. Yeah. Whoever has the secret, please let us know if you're listening.
1: Yeah. I would love to know it. Um, I will honestly say that it's only in the last few months of my life that I stopped sleeping with my telephone plugged in next to my bed. And that has made a huge difference in my life, as absurd as that sounds. Um, But I I like taking a lot of time off, to be honest. Uh, Last year, I worked, I think, almost with the exception of maybe 25 days. I worked almost every single day of the year. It was the first time I'd ever done that. And it wasn't good for me. Honestly, it's been, um, I feel like a long, rough road back to becoming a normal person again. Mm. Um, Some people thrive doing that. I think when I'm in it, I feel like I'm thriving. I feel like when I'm working and I'm doing a million things at once. I feel like I could also like get out there and cure cancer as <laughs> compared to when I'm not working and I'm like, Oh, today I have to go to the mailbox. Right. Oh, I don't know, you know, and it's like, <laughs> I'm like, obsessed. Yeah. All or nothing. Yes. Um, yes, yes, yes. but the truth is, is that I, 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 I do really relish my time off and I do relish doing a little bit of nothing with my time off. I love the beach. I'm a big beach person nice. and I try and be away. Every weekend and really as tuned out as humanly possible to a lot of the noise um, and only let in the emergency, you know, uh, emergencies happen on a Saturday, you know, someone gets sick, an actor missed their flight, you know, there's all those things um, that happen and you have to work and you get through it. Um, But there's all the other like needling little stuff. I'm like, oh God, did I do this? Have I called this person? I really have made a concerted effort lately to shut all of that off. I make myself a list on Friday and a list on Sunday. And I'm like, this is tomorrow morning. This is what I'm starting the day with, as opposed to like doing it in little bits and pieces all weekend long and making myself nuts. Mm. Wonderful advice, yeah I would say that's like not a very exciting piece of advice, but it has been working for me a little bit better, um, which is not to say that I'm not like you know waking up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat sometimes that i 've forgotten something. I mean we all do yes. so
0: yeah, exactly. what can I do so glamorous um, yeah, okay so Mary. on on the topic of uh, advice, and this will be my my last question. Mm-hmm. You know, what advice would you have for someone listening who is at any point in their journey, age is sort of irrelevant, but they're at the starting point of wanting to get into Mm -hmm. the business and producing, perhaps they do listen to this and think, okay, physical production, physical producing, that's my jam. That's what I want to do. I know you came up at a different time. I'm curious with the way the landscape is today, what advice you would give to that person?
1: Well, I think the most important thing, honestly, and I think this is true now more than ever, especially since we were saying that people have, I think, shorter and shorter attention spans, is to really listen and watch everything that's going on around you. I think the great thing about being an office PA and the same with being a set PA, you get to learn A little bit about what every single person does. And if you're smart, you'll learn a lot about what every single person on that show does. And you'll watch them, ask them questions, ask to be helpful, ask to do more. Take advice, take criticism well without getting upset. It's not easy. I'm not good at it either. And really be around everything and keep your mind open to anything that could possibly happen. I think, I think we, a lot of people get tripped up in life by having an agenda and thinking, I want to do this. Well, that might not really end up being the right thing for you and it might not happen for you. And that might be okay. There might be something else that's better. I think you really need to be open to your surroundings, open to people. And I would say to people who are not starting out and, and are are in it for a while, that we should also be more open to other people coming up and helping them and helping them figure out what they want and giving them an opportunity and letting them, you know, See what it's like, I think, um I think we all need to be a little bit more open to one another, yes, is what I would say,
0: and that's yeah. my goal with the show is that hopefully people can listen and get gain some insight um and understanding hearing your story and and really use that to inform their journey, you know, and yeah, I uh, mentorship is hugely important to me, and I have learned that that doesn't necessarily look like. You know, we're getting coffee once a month and talking about our goals. Like this this is mentorship. Like you're mentoring me right now and learning your just a little, you know, an hour of your time and a little bit of insight into your journey is, is hugely helpful to me and hopefully to others who are listening as well.
1: Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think it's different for everybody. I mean, I'm not the best person in the world to take somebody under my wing. You know, I'm I don't know that I'm very good at it, but you know what I really like? I think it's really great when someone says you know, it'd be interesting if we had a group of high school students come to the set this day and talk to all the creative department heads and see a little bit about every department. Like that opens up a huge world for people that they may not even know existed. I mean, as I was saying, I grew up in New York City, you know, in a, a very creative open fun childhood I had a really great life I still didn't know that this existed I didn't know you could do this as a job and it's turned out to be the greatest job in the world yeah and it's just nice that somebody thought to like let me in and and all the same things so I think I think it's possible and I think I feel better about my job and about myself when I make an effort to do something that I haven't done before and so I think and I think it rings true for a lot of people it's you know it's fun.
0: Well, if if we can find more Erica K's in in the, the business, I think that's. I cool. don't know about that. Well, more people like you. You're one of a kind, but more people <laughs> with your perspective and your perception. You're too kind. It's, thank you. It's it's nice to know that you're out there um thank doing you. doing good work. So thank you again for being a part of the show and and talking to me and sharing your story with me and the listeners. I'm so so grateful that you took the time to share this space with me. Thank you so
1: much. Thank you for contacting me. I really appreciate it. Of course it really helped me get over my shyness. Yeah
0: you did, nice. great. Thank you did you. great. You're very well spoken. That's why I was like is hey, she <laughs> really shy? She's so well spoken. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> And that's this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in week after week and doing this life thing with me. I see you. I recognize you. The hustle is real. Keep it up. And if you like the show, please spread the word. Tell a friend. Tag a friend. Follow me on social media. I'm at Carolina Gropa. The show's at Life with Kaka. Would love to hear what you think. And I'll see you next week. Beijos.